one of the best things that we offer people is our free 30 days coaching where we provide you with uh, very easy um, to read through and uh, to assimilate information on a variety of subjects that cover wellness. Um, we went through all of our episodes, all 500, and took out the ones where we cover particular topics and timestamp them. The way you get access to this is you go to mindpumpmedia.com and just opt in. It's absolutely for free. Go get it. If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. So, Paul Check, probably one of the most, for me personally, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, influential people that I've met uh, mm. in the fitness and wellness sphere, but also just... He's an outlier. Just and in I general. Love that. You know what's interesting? Before I ever met uh, Paul and before I ever really dove into his, you know, his courses and classes and teachings, I would always hear people talk about Paul Check and the Check Institute and the holistic lifestyle coaching, you know, you know, programs and all that stuff. And what used to turn me off was the almost... It, it, from my end, it sounded like this cultish fanaticism, right? Like mm-hmm. it was everything and he was God and this and that. And it, that's not what they said, but it felt like that for me. And part of the reason and looking back and being objective is I'm just a very skeptical individual. Mm-hmm. But after meeting the guy and going through some of his stuff, I can see why people follow him so vehemently, why he's so impactful the guy, from a wellness standpoint, I can't think of a single human being I've ever met in my entire life that encompasses the entire sphere of wellness mm-hmm. as much as him. From an accurate perspective. He's drawn all the lines to get all the dots connected. It's pretty fucking mind-blowing. Like He's not pretentious at all. He's not dogmatic in he's the He's very negative. polarizing. That's what causes yeah. people to it's, be that way. He's polarizing because he he's polarizing the way we he would be. All, he touches all the third rail. It's all uncomfortable. Time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable. Like, it's like if we were talking about barbell squats to a world of people who've never done barbell squats, we would come across as dogmatic about barbell squats because we know how awesome they are, for example. I'm using a silly example. but And so Paul talks like that a little bit. And he does go all over the place with the way he covers things. But the, the man is absolutely brilliant. Very, very uh, highly intelligent guy. I can't believe how much information and knowledge this guy knows from, like I said, all aspects of wellness. So we had him back on uh, the show. We, we interviewed him again. We had him up here at Mind Pump Media, did some film, uh, some video with him. We got to hang out with him a lot longer, which was cool. Got to hang out with him a lot longer. Um, had another great episode with him. And um, I mean, the guy's fucking i mean mind-blowing whether you agree or disagree with him like just listen to what he's saying and how he's saying it uh and uh you'll probably get something uh earth shattering out or i mean out of it he's again i can't say enough uh, about the guy he's just he really encompasses that entire you know wellness sphere um his uh check institute courses are pretty amazing everybody i've ever talked to who's done it um, really, really uh, enjoyed it. It was mind blowing for a lot of the people that we um, respect. Um, I know Dr. Ruscio; that was his first introduction into wellness. Was taking mm-hmm. the holistic lifestyle coaching. Most smart people we've met, uh, a lot of them ha- are attached to Paul Check somehow. The, it's it's pretty amazing. So um, you know, we're talking in this interview, and we've covered a lot of really cool uh, subjects. I think this episode, for those of you that love the first podcast with him, are going to f- absolutely love this one as well. It's really awesome. Also, 
uh, we talked to him a little bit and we wanted him to be able to offer our listeners a way to be introduced to his courses and what he talks about. And so what he's doing, and he's never, I don't think he's ever done this before, is you can actually get access to the Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 program, um, a huge discount for the whole thing. Um, normally it's like $347. You think you get the whole, all the whole program for $197. Um, and it's, uh, that's going to be valid for a week from when this episode airs. So I think June 4th is the last day you can get access to that. What you do is you go to checkinstitute.com forward slash mind pump HLC. Let me spell that out. Check is C H E K institute.com forward slash mind pump H L C and you'll get that fat discount. All this will be in the show notes. I believe it's all going to be in the show notes as well. So here we are talking to Paul check again. Part two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm alive and hot with the man himself, Paul Check. If you don't say so yourself. Huh? The holistic oh, gangster. The holistic, that is a badass shirt right there. Thank you guys, by the way. I had uh, It was quite amazing this morning to see someone make that comment and then come here and you give me a shirt with the holistic gangster on and I felt... Uh, what was the other one they called you? Well, you like, definitely hey, earned that him, title. Let him, let him finish. Yeah. He was trying to say how impressed he was, how the, fast we were on our business game like that. That's, t- yeah. that's, that's the, Taylor over there. The man. other one was the Zen meathead. I'm the Zen meathead. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like those. I like those. That's the follow-up shirt. Yeah, well, you know, they can all be uh, conceptualized into beautiful things, which is great. How was dinner for you last night? I loved it, actually. Uh, I ate too much but you know what do you do when you're in a situation where the food tastes so good that the experience of eating is one of the things that make you happy you are a human being and so um i was happy i was a human being last night so thanks again what what a great what actually a great topic to kind of start on is is learning to find that balance uh between uh eating what's healthier and what's good for our body then also enjoying you know memories and opportunities and cre- or creating memories mm. and opportunities like that. You know, how do, how do you teach when you teach someone and you're talking to them about the relationship with food? How, how do you start that conversation in that direction? Well, I started with the food itself. Um, and anyone that wants to join me, I invite to join because oftentimes people see me with my head down looking strange. And I'm, I open my heart chakra and I connect to the food and I say, thank you, Mother Universe. Thank you, Mother Earth. Thank you, spirits of this beautiful food. It is with great love and respect that I bring you into my being. Would you like to join me now in body, mind, and spirit so that together we can make the world a better place for all living beings now and in the future? Om, peace, amen. And I wait. And if the food... Spirits say, yes, we're into your mission. Then I get a big surge of energy, like whew, like, uh, like when someone hits you with a bucket of cold water and your hair stands on end. It's that kind of uprising. If there's something in the food, for example, that might be harmful to me, then there's a signal that pulls the energy down. For example, I travel on the road a lot. And when I sometimes have something handed to me in a restaurant or like a Whole Foods, all of a sudden my, my soul will tell me don't eat that or the food spirits themselves will not give me the yes, we want to join you. It's like they know they're going to cause trouble. What's Paul, what's that voice sound like? Is it like a sexy hot woman talking to you? <laughs> no, uh, you know, it? it's you can hear the voice, but the voice is always some rendition of your own psyche. I mean, wow. uh, 
What's you know what's interesting about this is I'm sure some people are listening going, "Oh gosh, you know, you're you're talking your food." But Welcome. you know what's you know what's funny about this is if I'm imagining I'm doing this, number one, I'm slowing down. I'm paying attention to what I'm eating. Yeah. I'm respecting the fact that I'm about to eat. Yeah. So that's all the stuff that's happening. And I'm less likely to eat a Pop-Tart if I did that. Like, imagine doing that in front of a Pop-Tart. You'd be like, all right, well, I guess this Pop-Tart's not worthy of this time I'm spending to eat it. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like it helps that decision process along the way. There, that's true. And I can also show you the flip side of that coin because as a guy who's traveled the world, you know, lecturing professionally nonstop for about 22 years uh, up to about four years ago when I just had to take a break. But there was many, many times that I could not find anything that met my bottom standard of what I wanted to put in my mouth. It was either starve to death or eat from some fast food place in an airport and I haven't eaten in 14 hours or something. Mm -hmm. And so what I do then is I open my heart to the food and I know that the food that we're eating in places like that was raised in nasty environments, you know, farm raised animals, commercially raised animals, commercially raised plants, toxins, whatever. And so I connect to the spirit of those plants and let them know that their life was a life of purpose because those plants to me are like people living in third world countries that don't have food or water and they're starving to death. And there's, you know, something like 2 billion of them on the planet. So I don't want to ignore those beings. So when I meditate, I open my heart to them and, and thank them for doing that experience for the great spirit so that I could do this one this time. And uh, so what I'm saying is I understand that there's times when we don't always have ideal food options, but I know that those are the beings that didn't get to live a full life and didn't get loved by farming. And when a farmer loves what they raise, there's plenty of research showing that it makes a difference in how the plants respond, the health of their immune systems, how rapidly they grow, how rich the nutrition is. And you know, spiritual farming, like uh, Steiner's method of biodynamic farming, produces the most nutritious food in the world at many levels. So I love to just connect to the spirits that haven't been treated well and let them know that now they're joining me and together we will always do our best to make the world a better place so all living beings feel supported and we help bring people's consciousness up and support everyone. In other words, you know, Love even the ugly because the ugly got ugly somehow is what I'm saying. You know, one of, one of my favorite things about you and when we first met, I felt that connection is um, I love when I meet a no, a truly no bullshit person. <laughs> and and uh, well, even, no, it's true. Yes. You're, even, you're about as genuine as it gets. Well, even true. to the point where and, and I do this, like it doesn't take me long after I get to meet somebody. I'll find their insecurities and I'll kind of poke around them to see how they handle. Yeah. And it tells me a lot about their character. And uh, I did that with you when we first met, and I was just in incredibly impressed with. Uh, and I've been around a lot of brilliant minds. Let's tell uh, the truth. You see that blood on my leg? That's because you fucking beat me up. <laughs> you were trying to find my insecurities. I got proof. What I'm supposed to you, keep that off air? Uh, let's be honest. Uh, that was from you deadlifting 400 pounds yeah. per set. Yeah, right. Okay. In our gym. Yeah. Oh yes. Don't. I'm supposed to be old. I'm not supposed yeah. to do that. But this was this was the part this was the part of me that I, I appreciated so much. But then I have to ask you, right? And yeah. uh 
and what you just shared with us was the process of you consuming food. Yeah. Do you find you, uh, is it hard for you to turn off the switch and not just explain to somebody that you ate your food, that you have the desire to want to teach and tell people that? Mm -hmm. And do you ever stop and think like, oh, this is going to turn people off? And I probably shouldn't say it this way, but I know this is how I, how I feel. This is how I believe. And I want to share that. Do you struggle ever with that? Or do you have that? I don't give a fuck. I'm going to say what I want to say all the time. No, I, I, um, pay attention to what I'm reading off whoever's in the environment. If their eyes look at me as though they're wanting to ask, but are afraid to ask, I say, I'm sus- I suspect that you're curious as to what I was doing before I ate my food. And they will just say, yes, were, were you praying or what were you doing? Why were you holding your hands over the food or something like that? And I'll say, w- would you like me to teach you what I do so you can experience it? And I would say 99.999% of the time people say, yes, I'd love that. And I mean, many of them have very profound experiences. It's the first time they've ever actually open their heart and put their awareness to their food. I mean, I've literally had students break down emotional in tears, like they've just seen their long lost mother for 15 years for the first time and go, oh my God, all this time I didn't know that the food was conscious. It it could hear my thoughts. It was reacting to me and I didn't even know it. I said, hey, welcome home, baby. Why do you think I pray? (laughs) You know, it's from an objective... damn good salad. (laughs) From an objective point of view, uh, most... Cultures, most ancient cultures, had did some form of that in their own words or in their own oh, way. Absolutely, before they ate. So, I, and I, and I, I really implore the listeners who are thinking like, "What's he talking?" Like, you know, your great grandparents probably did that in their own way, whether it was a, a religious way or their cultural way. And I think uh, when you look at uh, you know humanity, when you look at societies, old societies, and you see these these rituals that people do in different cultures. There's a reason why. There's a reason yeah. why it's so common. There's a reason why it's common in different cultures that have never communicated with each other that they had this ritual before they ate, whether it be prayer or you know to to, to thank the food. Native Americans mm-hmm. did it. You know, yeah, uh, they did it in Asia. Thankful. And you know, from a Western point of view, how much we disrespect our food. And what I mean by that is, I don't mean we disrespect our food like we treat it poor, horribly, although we do do that. But we don't respect what food is, right? And what food does for us. It's made, we are made, uh, you know, food is made quickly. It's consumed quickly. It's engineered to hit every, uh, you know, taste bud that you could, you know, possibly, you know, crave. It's it's designed to become addictive. And we don't respect what food does to us to the point where if I go to the doctor, in fact, I had a conversation earlier I was just on social you, media. I was just going to ask you if you're going to share that. I think this is a perfect time to share. I had, I had a, a conversation earlier with someone on social media about this where, you know, you go to the doctor and you, you go to a dermatologist and you have acne, for example, you know, something benign like acne, mm-hmm. uh, although it can be quite troubling for someone. And they don't talk about changing your diet. How In fact, that? if you tell them, if you ask them, hey, is it anything I'm eating? They'll say, no, not at all. It has nothing to do with what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and this could be, I could go to the doctor for rheumatoid arthritis. I could go for joint pain. I could go for all these other issues aside from stomach problems. That's about the only time they'll say it might be your food. But they don't talk about your food with any type of respect. And if you really think about it, like you are, this is this is something you do every single day, almost every day for your entire life. Mm-hmm. The food becomes you. Yeah, it is uh, more your medicine than almost anything, uh, yeah. aside from your oxygen and sunlight um, and communication with and people. It is all those. It is absolutely. And and so the, what you do before and what you say before you eat 
Uh, I don't. Uh, the food are the words are important to you, but what I find even more fascinating about it is the respect that uh, you have, you respect your food enough to do that. Yes. and respect it in the sense of you understand what the food is is and what it does to you and for you and right. what it can do in terms of harm and all that stuff. It's a link between life and death, just like breath is. Right. You you can't go without breathing for very long till you no longer can hold the balance of life, and you cross over into another energetic dimension that we call death. Well, food is right up there because food is largely water, so you have to have water and you have to have food and you have to have breath and you have to have warmth or shelter to survive. So for me, food is actually the fabric that creates the matrix that allows my soul to exist consciously in what we call life. And all you got to do is watch as people's diet and lifestyle gets worse and worse and they can't bring in the materials that their genes can use to rebuild the matrix of self, which is the soul's home. It's, it's, it's the soul's spiritual school is within the body. That's how it enters into growth in life and into experience in life. Now, just think of what happens if you spill battery acid on your T-shirt. It eats right through it, right? So when you're eating chemicals and you're eating dead stuff and you're not eating anything that's got natural harmonic vibrations and doesn't produce photons in coherent orderly fashion like Fritz Albert Pop showed, organic food produces coherent light and in a significant greater amount than non-organic food. He showed that it produced very random and chaotic spurts of photons and he showed basically that organic food was a source of not only information or uh, in, in uh, um, uh, nutrition, but it is a source of living information. So it's communicating to things in our biofield. So it's almost as though your, you know, your liver. We all know this. Liver needs certain foods. Dandelion works well for the liver, for example. Well, there's a harmonic between the way the liver's built and the structure of the liver's cells and the molecules and the uh, components that we can get out of a dandelion. So those things have a relationship with our liver that's positive, but those things may not be ideal for the adrenal glands, for example, or for the lungs. So Chinese medicine's full of a whole cornucopia of which plants and which antlers and which bugs. So they have this whole cornucopia of what does what for what, right? So when we stop eating well and we watch the changes in our body like it you don't get obese overnight you don't get type 2 diabetes overnight you don't get cancer overnight cancer for most people is somewhere between a 10 and a 15 year project of living an imbalanced lifestyle as a general rule of thumb so if you keep eating food that you think is just energy because that's what they taught you in science class and it's like gasoline that you put in a car you don't realize it's we what your cells weave the fabric of your existence out of then you start seeing tissues break down stretch marks all over the place uh you know men can't get erections anymore so they got to use drugs women dry out and their boobs start to sag and their faces get wrinkled and uh Ache, spine starts to ache and then your gallbladder gets cut out and then your uh, appendix gets cut out then your tonsils get cut and you just next thing you know you're kind of like that shirt that had battery acid spilled on it you got holes all over you and you're having a hard time really doing anything that's fun because everywhere you go you got to have a bucket of pills with you you're afraid to leave the doctor you're afraid you know, there's a list of oh i'm afraid i might not live without this but when you eat 
with awareness and you eat with the knowledge that every dollar you spend on organic food is food that is actually money that's going to supporting the whole planet for all of us versus paying for chemicals. Now you can see the connection between the soil and your soul. And when you realize that your experience as a soul includes all the choices you make, whether you're conscious of it or not, meaning if you eat junk food and you're unconscious of it, you still are going to suffer the effects of it. There's no escaping that. And that's one of the ways the soul enlightens people. It lets you make these mistakes so that you have to learn because the pain guides you to making better choices. And if you keep drugging it, not listening, then you just get deeper, deeper, deeper lessons until you come up against the brick wall called, do I want to live anymore? And it feels like when you have that kind of respect for food, it's, it's, almost, it's difficult to eat poorly. It is. It is because you know that you're harming yourself. You're actually, who, how many people walk around all day bitching about everybody that hurt them? My dad, this, my boss, that, uh, you know, they got a long, long inner dialogue of all the people that screwed them in life. And here they are, the number one person screwing themselves, not taking care of themselves, poisoning themselves. And, you know, you guys know me, I'm, I'm all for having a good time. If you want to smoke or smoke pot or drink and dance and do, do whatever, but you you have to at least 80% of the time care for the garden enough that it can handle a party now and then. Otherwise, the garden starts to break down and it's kind of like, you know, having a never-ending frat party at your house and you wake up one day and you've lost $100,000 in value because all the windows are knocked out and all the furniture's <laughs> broken and you just figure that out. in the corner. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the way you eat and the way you nourish yourself – uh, it can change, right? It can change from week to week or year to year to where I know last night you were talking about how you went through a period where you felt like you needed to eat a vegan type diet. Yeah, can vegetarian. you explain a vegetarian? Can you explain that? Well, in my holistic lifestyle coach training program um, in HLC two, I teach a person how to connect to what I am referring to as the soul, which is you know the inner consciousness of yourself. It's the consciousness within you it's everything that allows you to have an experience of being yourself and knowing it in ken wilber's model it's called the upper left quadrant the personal interior so i make a habit of asking a question and listening and not thinking so for example if you say um a question like um should I eat one cookie or two cookies right now? Something that your ego is not going to get threatened over if the answer is one or two, you can get by without a hassle, right? Mm. Then you're brave enough to shut your ego down and just listen. And when you start just pausing your ego completely, you'll find there's another part of you that gives an answer to a question like that. And that part of you is somehow strange and mysteriously mm. your center, but also at the same time, somehow all of you. And any other voice, like when you're thinking with your head, you feel the energy in your head. If you pay attention, your head is actually processing. But when your soul is talking to you, there's something that's coming from everywhere inside of you at once, but somehow centralized at the same time. It's kind of a miraculous little thing. And that's the consciousness within you. So by just asking simple questions and completely practicing letting your mind relax like you just finished a set you sat on the bench and you're willing to let go you will begin to feel that there's the higher self that's the totality of your 
wisdom and the totality of everything that you think you are and more, and it begins to speak to you. And so that's that's the part that I listen to. So when I ask my soul, would you like to eat meat today? Yes or no? Would you like eggs today? Yes or no? Uh, I was hoping to do some deadlifts today. Would you like to do deadlifts? And I'll get a yes or a no. Sometimes I think it's a great day to train. Sometimes mm. my soul says, no, today you need to stretch and mobilize your body or go lift rocks or go for a walk or do some sprinting. So what you find is, is as you learn to let go to that part of yourself, everything that you create starts to become more magnificent and you wake up one day and go, you know, I could have never done that on my own before. I couldn't, there's no way I could have painted that way or there's no way I could have come up with that idea. You, you come to a realization that there is so much more wisdom inside of you that you've never been taught to access because the church kind of makes that illegal. You know, you have to go through the church to get to God. But when you find out that this thing that we call a soul is God within you, and it's right there all the time and totally willing to support you and guide you. It's quite a marvelous experience. So my that part of me told me, you know, many years ago that it was time for me to um, – I was also doing a lot of work in shamanism at the time. So my soul told me it was time for me to cut out the meat, detoxify, and go into some uh, training on rattling and drumming and various healing practices. So for – Oh, probably a year I was getting up around 3.30 in the morning and going to work early so I had time to do about three hours of this work just letting my soul guide me and just had amazing, amazing experiences and, and so I was, my soul asked me to go vegetarian and I checked every day, are you sure you want, and there was days I was hungry, I could eat a, a, a whale, <laughs> you know, it's <so laughs> like I could watch the muscle coming off but I asked every time, and, you know, and Spiritual courage is being brave enough to listen to the part of you that's beyond, you know, how good your pecs look or how much how much you can impress people with how big of what you can lift or, you know, it, it takes a fair bit of courage to get past letting that part of you control everything. And so for me, I think my soul took me through getting skinny and having a lot of people bitch at me and call me names and send me nasty letters but know on the inside that I was listening to the voice that has always guided me better than I can guide myself. And I don't care what anybody thinks about whether that's foofer or whatever. Most of the people that have opinions like that have no experience of it. So it's just like listening to your mother tell you how, how bad LSD is or something. Um, you know, <laughs> something like that. I'll tell you one of the things. Right. That, I, I have that to ask, no on that woo woo part. If do you feel people think you're crazier now, or do you feel like in the past you got that more? Like, and the reason why I say this is because some of the things you talk of and the way you talk about them, I find it fascinating that we're starting to gain a lot of popularity. Well, not only is it gaining popularity, is we're starting to create tools to try and quantify this stuff. Like, I know you were tracking sleep and heart rate variability yes. before yeah. anybody was fucking talking about this, yeah. and now you're starting to see these. Everyone has a tool now that yeah. tells them they're they're sleep. Like, so. And that's what I meant by that. Like some of the stuff that probably sounded really mm. kooky for people you were saying 20 years ago. And I'm, a, I'm asking you, do you feel like you get the, you know, crazy uncle kooky Paul check more now or did you get it more 20 years ago? You know, I've been getting it all the way from different people for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a clue to tell me you're on the right track. If you ask yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like I think I told you in the last interview when I first brought the Swiss ball into 
gyms and, and was developing the technology that I put into courses and videos, I got ridiculed constantly, mostly by big dudes with lots of muscles, bodybuilders, you know, guys that thought they were tough guys, you know. And so, and then there was also many people that were scared. They thought it was too dangerous. And, you know, I had an onslaught of resistance, but I also had, you know, people like Al Vermeil, strength coach from the Chicago Bulls, who was blown away at what happened when he implemented all the techniques that I taught him and his partner, Eric, that were the strength and conditioning. That was the, the, the Jordan era too, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I worked for the Bulls, I think, seven different times to uh, share... Uh, key concepts. Alvar Meal was a very open-minded guy. He's probably the most successful strength coach I know of in the world. He had 13 championship rings between his work with the uh, wow. NFL and the NBA mm. and a uh, very, very intelligent wow, guy, someone that. who I really yes, enjoyed legit. working with. And um, so he attended a lecture I gave a long, long time ago for the National Strength and Conditioning Association on core control and he loved it. So he got my course and he said, this is too technical. I need your help guide me to using this properly so I don't screw this up and I got him on that and then I got the Bulls using Swiss balls and they were the first professional sports team to take them on as part of their training routine and then I think the Lakers picked it up from them so I got a lot of hassle with that I mean without telling a long story it's always the same kind of resistance but the people that think I'm crazy for telling you that how I pray and connect to food and you talk to soul are not the same people that thought it was crazy for bringing Swiss balls right. into the gym. And at the same time, they are some of the same people. But I'm saying there are some people that would have thought the Swiss ball idea was really cool and had no resistance to it. But, but freak, think, out, a, a freak but think, out about it. <laughs> but think my relationship with food or my soul is just nutty. <laughs> so it's the nature of Tai Chi that uh, opportunity always has to have resistance nearby or there's no action potential. You understand what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. So no matter, whenever you're growing or moving in a way that's out of the consensus norm, it usually triggers fear or judgment from people because they're conditioned. Like if you're driving home tonight and someone's driving at you head on, you're probably going to think that's a complete moron heading at you and, and what the hell is he doing on the road? He must be stoned or something. And you're not probably going to think, I bet you that guy just landed from England and he doesn't realize he's on the wrong side of the road right now. Right? So if you've been in England and you've had that experience yourself, then you oh. can probably say, oh boy, I bet you that guy just got home from a, from a European travel trip or something. My cousin did that to me coming from Northern Ireland, and he was driving my truck and started going like 80 miles an hour on the wrong lane. Scared the shit out of me. But my, <laughs> but my point for that analogy is, as you see, there's people on either side of the fence always. Makes sense. Yeah. And the way we grow spiritually is we come to the realization that when you were a kid and you had great ideas, your dad told you they wouldn't work or your brother told you they wouldn't work. And then when you went to high school, your teacher told you they wouldn't work. And then when you went to college, your professor said, oh, that'll never work. And in fact, you won't even get that published. Well, 10 years later, you're the world's leading expert on the subject that he told you you wouldn't even get published on, right? <laughs> so it's like the resistance on the hero's journey has to be there or a hero can't be made. And we're not really sure who we are till we make a hero out of ourselves. Mm. But the trick is only you can decide when you're hero enough to stop trying so hard to prove something. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and that's the day you that, become a man or a woman, you know, it, it, or a serious badass. Actually, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of what a lot of what you say, uh, the language that you use, I think, is what makes it difficult for some people to understand. And what I mean is. Like when I hear someone uh, talk about Chinese medicine and talk about qi, for example, for a Western medicine doctor, they're going to automatically shut off. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you look at the way Chinese medicine works from a Western standpoint, now we have studies to show that many of the things that they they do actually uh, actually work. But the language is what makes it difficult for people to understand. Uh, Meditation, I'll use the meditation as another Mm -hmm. example. For a long time, meditation was just something that, you know, hippies and... You know, uh, you know those kind of people did, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, now athletes are doing it. Professional athletes and strength athletes are doing it. Yeah. And uh, other people now are listening because they use a different language. So, like when you talk about food, or you talk about uh, the, you know, your relationship to food, and how you talk, or, or when you ask yourself, should does my soul want to eat meat? Yeah. Um, that language would make it difficult for people to understand. But what I hear, because I'm trying to, dis- I'm really trying to to break this down, and what I hear is really just becoming aware of what your body needs. Well, and, and it's just yes. different language. So let me explain something to you. I'll use Steiner's model of the soul. Steiner teaches that wherever there's something with an inside and an outside, there's a soul. And this is, in, this is called the great chain of being in most religions. It begins with an atom, right? You can't have a body unless you've started with an atom, okay? So an atom has an energetic inside, and an outside because there's a structure to an uh, atom. There's a structure to nickel. There's a structure to uh, gold. There's a structure to salt, right? So atoms, when they get together, create structures. So what's outside that structure in empty space is different than what's inside it is what I'm saying. So what's inside of it is the soul, and that's, shall we say, the information field that uh, makes it be salt or makes it be stone or whatever it is. Well, then we, so there's the mineral soul. That's the basis of the development of what we are. From the mineral soul, you go to the biological soul. So once you have cellular life or even bacterial life, anything that has sentience of its needs, in other words, it's hungry and it has to protect itself, whatever, now you've got something that has self-awareness. So you go from mineral soul to biological, excuse me, biological soul, which goes all the way up, right? Consciousness evolves as the brain gets bigger and different other systems grow. And so from biological soul, we have the intellectual soul. And that's the part of us that we know ourselves through as our personality. That's where the ego is. There's no such thing really as a body with an ego. The body knows that it's part of nature and it knows that it's a different body, but the body doesn't have issues about how it looks or how it feels. It, it's very pure in its instincts. So it's like a dog's very pure in, in its authenticity. I'm hungry. I want to sleep, uh, whatever. So the intellectual soul is really made of information, mostly passed to us through our parental programming and through our social circles and social environments. The next phase up, which is a big jump, Um, A person doesn't really know what spiritual development is from an authentic perspective until they make it to the next level, which Steiner called the awareness soul. And the awareness soul is what emerges as soon as you begin to question your own thoughts. So, for example, you might say, John's a real dick. That's the third time he's done that to me. That guy's a real dick. But the next level up in spiritual growth where spiritual awareness actually emerges is when all of a sudden you're brave enough to say, I wonder if that's actually true. I wonder if maybe 
I'm being a dick and I just don't realize it. Or, you know, you start to actually question yourself honestly, not trying to prove anything, but, but just trying to actually be brave enough to look at both sides of an equation so you're not bullshitting yourself into thinking that you're right. So as that awareness soul grows, and you'll be shit shocked when you start doing that to yourself. You just here's an example. Listen to yourself when you're stating things to people factually. Marijuana does this to you, or this supplement gives you that effect, whatever. And then sit for a minute in meditation and say, how sure am I of that? Oh, well, I read a study, but were you there? Yeah. What was the, what were the, do you remember the parameters of the study design? Do you know how many people they were? Do you know who the statistician was? Do you know who funded the study? Which is one of the most important things to know about a study before you believe jack shit. And what you find out is that most of what you and I perceive to be factual is actually what Osho calls paper boats. And the deeper you go into that, the more you realize that we are very, um, we've become very comfortable at living on a sort of a mystical concept of factuality when really it's mostly fabricated. So then when you start going into the awareness soul and really questioning that, and if, if all that happens is you just suspend judgment, maybe this guy's not a dick and maybe I'm not a dick. Maybe there's just all kinds of dicks in the room. <laughs> we're both having Everybody's a bad dicks. day and it just happened the last three times we met. We were both having a bad day. Hmm. Uh, you know, you, you leave room. So simple minded thinking is on off. Yes. No. Two dimensional, more sophisticated thinking is yes, no, maybe, or both. And then there's another level. Yes, no, maybe, or both becomes the question is not even appropriately asked, so it shouldn't even be considered. You understand that? Like some people ask questions that just are asking the wrong question for whatever it is they're trying to find out because they just don't have enough knowledge to even formulate a question that can give a meaningful answer. It's like a three-year-old trying to ask you a question about uh, an Olympic lift. It doesn't really have a structure to know whether mm -hmm. its question is appropriate or not. Mm -hmm. So I have an inappropriate question to ask you. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> last, right. last night I can't help. Uh, and I, and this, I love talking to you about some of this cause you are so fucking raw and you'll just tell whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you drove up in your RV yeah. and you brought both your wives to dinner with us, mm -hmm. had an incredible, both of them are incredible. I can't help but ask myself, how does the sleeping arrangement work when you get into that RV? Because I know there's only one. There's only one bed. Do you guys all together? No, there's there's uh, three beds. Oh, there's, there's the bed above the cab. The bench across from the dinner table folds into a bed, and then the whole back is like a bedroom back there. There's a bathroom, and then there's like a like a queen size bed with cupboards and space to walk around it. Um, so what I do is. I spend typically two days with Penny and then two days with Angie and I just rotate back and forth two days at a time. And there's times when maybe Mana's having teething pain and he needs some more support from Daddy that I might stay three, four days with Angie and then I'll go back to Penny and I'll probably spend two, three days or whatever feels good. But because Angie... Uh, you know, because Mon was only 14 months old and she was pregnant, she needed more connection and support. 
And I've been with Penny over 20 years. So Penny's, you know, not... Angie and I have been together five years. So there's still a lot more growing in the kind of the intimate development of the relationship where Penny and I have worked through a lot of these stages. And we've been... The seven-year itch has happened three times. So, <laughs> you know, we, we know this whole story. And we don't really need a lot of things from each other. We just love being together. It's like we don't have to jump each other for sex just to make sure we're still in love. Or we don't have to have long discussions about things because we already know how each other sees the world. So we're happy just sitting and reading a book and not talking and just digging that or just watching a movie together or her doing her thing and I do my thing and we go to bed whenever we feel like it. And she often shows up when I'm asleep and it's just cool. And if we make love, great. If it doesn't happen, great. If it doesn't happen for a week, no big deal. If it doesn't happen for two weeks, it's okay. If we have lots of sex for three days, that's okay too. Now, in the in the the five years now, is there ever is there ever the melding of all three? No. Um, There's is there is there rules? I feel like that's a misconception, right? I feel like that's. that's I, it's, I, I mean, people got to be thinking it. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, no, that's okay. People do ask. Um, there's different styles out there, um, and a lot of people accuse me of running a cult because I have two wives, and they think I'm kind of doing more than Hugh Hefner, I guess, which, you know, if I if I could contribute as much as Hugh Hefner did to the world, even if they called me a cult leader, I'd still be doing great. Um, <laughs> uh, but Penny's a very private person, and she really likes to have her own life. In fact, Penny's bedroom is at one end of the house, and Angie's bedroom is at the opposite end of the house. And the kitchen and another bedroom in Penny's office separate the house. And it just worked out that way because my house is laid out that way. So it just happened that we could do that. But um, I try to give them both as much love as I can and not be favoritism to anybody because that's just not healthy. And it's part of the growth of being in a relationship like that is learn to just be honest and even and now, as last night, as I was trying to convince Katrina that this was a really good idea for us, <laughs> and it wasn't going over very well for me, she uh, she had to ask. Like, I want she asked me, and so I have to ask you. Uh, I wonder do do the girls get the same uh, flexibility? And when, if they came to you and said, "Paul, I met this young twenty five year old guy, and I and I, what do you think? Like, would they be allowed to? Would that cause a problem? Do you think that would happen? I mean, um, you know. Penny and I have started our relationship on the grounds that we would be honest with what we needed so that we didn't have to run into the kinds of problems that make most um, supposedly Christian-type monogamous relationships very, very painful and put a lot of junk in the trunk, as I say, Uh, a lot of withholding and concealing of affairs and fantasies and, you know, and this is one of the reasons you see so much porn addiction because of all this kind of inner compression and, and... abstinence that <laughs> makes up devils mm. um my my thing is just be present with whatever arises and just be honest with what's real for you um i know that that's unlikely because angie and i both had been with a lot of people and we both when we came together found something in each other that was more powerful than the desire to be with multiple people and it's funny because when it happened to me it surprised me but I think, was, I think I was telling you about it mm-hmm. at lunch, Sal. I was saying, you know, that I reached a point where even though my wife was giving me total freedom to be with other women, and I had um, many beautiful and loving relationships with incredibly beautiful people, physically, mentally, and spiritually, um, I just felt with Angie that 
in order to really get what we can get from each other to help each other grow spiritually, we have to drill a deeper well. You know, if you're looking for spiritual water, drilling six-foot holes doesn't get you very deep. To really grow with someone spiritually, you got to go through the work of drilling three or four hundred or a thousand feet. And that means you're going to hit rubble and you're going to hit gas pockets and you're going to hit washouts, you know, and you're going to hit hard rock. And those are all metaphors for challenging times that you have to work through together. Um, And that can be anything from getting clear on whether you're body's horny or whether your soul's horny sometimes our bodies get horny and we can't and and we screw our relationships up to feed a penis that's stiff and takes over our mind versus checking in with what our heart really wants you know and the problem is uh, even wild passionate sex with somebody like that might only last an hour or two or three or four, or ten if you're lucky. Right? Oh, wow. But then now you're bragging. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but I did say if you're lucky. Uh, <laughs> but then you got the rest of your life after that, right? And in a, in a, in a few it's minutes a in a hotel, you can, you can ruin a lot of opportunity. So for me, it's really, um, I think Penny and I are just at peace and, and I would, be honor them the same way they've always honored me. That's our agreement. Um, and, and if it felt painful for me, I would say I feel painful for this reason or I feel afraid for this reason. Um, but I have had experiences of sharing women before with men, so I know what it feels like and I'm, I've tested it out. So. so you know you could handle it if it, had to go, if it went that way. Well, you know, when I, when I did do that, it was with... Uh, one of my buddies that who who was a very good friend of mine and someone I really appreciate as an athlete, as a human being. And um, it was a time in life, my life after my first marriage where I was single and he was a very good looking man and many women, you know, wanted to jump him. And um, it just happened. There were times that uh, I was fortunate enough in those years to have women that were so intensely sexual <laughs> that I was ready to call in, call in the troops. So I got this, like, I don't want this poor, poor girl to be unsatisfied. <laughs> so if I was going to share with, duty with a woman, point, I, huh? I wanted to make sure it was someone that I loved and respected enough as a human being to be that intimate with, um, not just any guy. I mean, and I didn't, I don't, I don't have any sexual attraction to males at all. I'm highly heterosexual. So for me, it was really like just saying, you won't believe how much gold I found. In fact, I need you to help me spend it because there's too much here. And this Eureka! We've got a, we've, we've got a chance here to spend yeah. some gold oh, together. A vagina yeah. overload, nothing yeah. like that. And you know, every, wow. every one of the women was girlfriends of mine and were all blown away grateful that I would do that with them. They said, Paul, this is a fantasy I've had for my whole life, and I never found a man secure enough to share that with me. And I made tears coming out of their eyes. It was like God had just showed up. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, I would just, I feel great about it because, you know, there's a lot of pain people create for themselves by believing in stories about what God doesn't want. And... I say love is a boomerang, and to me, the highest form of God there is is the highest form of love, which is unconditional love, which means the answer is always yes. For God to say no creates a condition, that means God has needs, and that's not very godly. 
God's supposed to be everything and have everything. And therefore, if you are everything and you have everything, there's really not much you need to want since you already have it anyhow, <laughs> right? So a God that's going to judge you and burn you in hell and tell you how you shouldn't, shouldn't masturbate or how you shouldn't, sh- shouldn't, shouldn't have sex or who you shouldn't, that, that's, you know, that means God's a chicken shit. It means God's not willing to look into God's own dark side, but God is, right? In the Bible, Isaiah 45, 7 says, I, the Lord, create the light and the dark. I create good and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things, and that is bang on and they just hate that passage so much they even change it in the last 15 or 20 years so it doesn't say that anymore but the fact is god's brave enough to act out every role in the cosmic drama with tremendous authenticity and there's nobody that can judge sal or adam or justin or dave or paul because there's only one of you And behind you, there is no other. There is no one for you to compare yourself to. The only person that can judge your performance in the grand play of life is you. And the only position you can judge it from is an ego until you grow up enough to say to your soul, what do you think? How would we do? And the soul is always going to say, you did great. How do you feel? Are you happy? If you're happy, I'm happy. And if you're happy being an asshole... Your soul will probably be happy being an asshole too because God has to be an asshole or nothing that's non-asshole can exist. Just like up can't exist with down, without down. In can't exist without out. You know, people have this kind of childish view of God, but they forget God is the light and the dark, the in and the out, the up and the down, the high and the low, the beautiful and the ugly. God's not just the pretty side of the rug, flip most rugs over you see all the shortcuts as alan watts says so we walk on the beauty of the rug and you could say that great spirit lets us walk all over it until we realize what's really going on and then you celebrate more so i I find it fascinating that you you quoted the bible but Mm -hmm. i i feel like you what do you see wrong with uh religion and things like christianity because for you to quote that and a verse out of isaiah like that but then also i think you have i I believe i know what your feelings are but what do you see flawed uh in 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 religion or christianity or any any of any religion for that matter I don't think there's anything flawed with it. Um, it's, it would be like the same question as saying, what do you think is wrong with the drug industry? Right? Well, you can have very harsh opinions. How about we it. use it or how we interpret and, and it. And I, I don't right? like the drug industry for the same reason I don't like uh, religion for money because the drug industry pr- preys on keeping people sick to keep selling the money. It's a disease maintenance system. The whole medical system is not a healthcare system. It's a disease maintenance system. They got drugs scheduled for you from cradle to grave. You're, you're an investment that they have to maintain. That's simple fact. And this is the food industry. It's many industries, the whole medical industry, the drug industry. Uh, I mean, look at the billions and billions of dollars made just off one disease like diabetes, for God's sakes. I mean, disease is big, 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 big business. They don't want no cure for cancer. They just want something that looks like a cure for cancer that'll work just long enough to get a few billion from you so then they can come up with another one. So the game, you know, they keep moving the carrot in front of your nose and you can never quite reach it. And so it's a game. So the, the point that I'm making is, is that everyone has a choice, right? People that choose to use the drugs usually do it because they're ignorant and they don't know any better or they're not willing to participate in 
an authentic change process where they look at the choices they're making that led them into the heartburn or led them into the back pain, the overexercise or the underexercise or not getting the therapy that their doctor told them they should get because they have a minor disc bulge. So it turns into a major bulge, not changing their chair when the doctor said you need to get a better chair. I mean, this goes on all day long and some people are just too um, lazy to actually take care of the gift of the body because they're not awake enough to realize how freaking magnificent a human body is and how, what a miracle it is to have one. Right. So it's taken as a, a, a given like it's taken for granted is, is really. And so people like that basically take that path and it takes them deeper and deeper into pain. And, you know, as I often say, how do you get the juice out of a coconut? You whack it. And so we, the soul lets us whack ourselves until we're, you know, ready to be awakened to the fact that there is no escape taking responsibility for our choices. And that's when your spiritual birth begins. And you say, okay, I got to stop playing stupid games with myself. And I got to stop even believing in stupid science because obviously it ain't freaking working here. Yeah. So <laughs> and you- I got to stop believing in what they say at church because all these people that say you shouldn't have affairs are having affairs. And all these priests who say you should never touch kids in negative ways are screwing kids. And, you know, you realize... The, the, the shadow and the light forever dance with each other, and it's up to us to decide when we're being honest enough and loving enough that we can handle being alone with ourselves. Steiner says the first thing that happens when you die is you find yourself surrounded by people just like you, and you stay there until you're absolutely sick of yourself and sure of what you will never do again in your next lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so I always remember when Steiner said that in his book, um, At Home in the Universe. And I, that made me think, it's like, okay, if I'm going to have to be with myself, then it's really important that I be honest about what it's like to be with myself. And that requires the birth of the awareness soul because you got to start asking yourself, am I being honest? Am I being fair? Am I being too harsh? Am I being not, uh, not um, restraining enough, right? Sometimes you got to say no to a kid, even if the kid's going to freak out, or you got to say no to patients or clients. You got to tell them they're bullshitting themselves. But if you're afraid to be honest with people, then you can actually be harming them by being a chicken shit because you're afraid of a little confrontation. So we, you know, there's abundant growth around every corner. So all I'm saying is there's a spectrum from people that are, you know, the the devout yogi who goes to the extreme of fanaticism and won't put anything in his body that isn't, you know, blessed by Shiva. And then on the other end, you got the people that go to McDonald's and eat fast food and get diabetes and take pills all day and spend two, uh, you know, a third of their income on drugs and doctors. And then you got guys like me that say, hey, you know, a little... A little balance. You know, you don't need to be an extreme because there's no, God doesn't have any special rewards for being an extremist. It's just another role in the show, right? (laughs) If you want that role, go ahead. Or you can, you know, be in the middle and have a little drugs when you're needing them because you're in pain and you just don't want to deal with the pain. And you can do a little exercise to fix it up or get therapy. You can find yourself somewhere where you're at peace with yourself. Then you're, then you're uh, ready to hang out with yourself. Do you feel like most people uh, fool themselves into thinking they're that way, though? 
I feel like a lot of people do that. I feel like uh, you 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 think you have balance, or you tell yourself you're yeah. balanced like that. But we're if we're really truly honest, yeah. Research shows we overestimate ourselves on average about seventy percent. For Ooh, example, if wow. if you have to rate yourself as how good a driver you are from a scale of one to ten, the average person is seventy percent overshoots on anything you ask them. <laughs> yeah. How, well, yeah. How how smart are you? How much money yeah, do you think you can yeah. make? Yeah. Pretty much anything. Yeah. <laughs> a little bloated self-esteem. Confidence. Yeah. Are yeah. you, um, you just talked about it being at peace with oneself, uh, and you, uh, sounds like you've been at this for a very long time. Yeah. Are you fully at peace with yourself? I have times when I feel sadness inside of myself, um, sometimes frustration with myself. You know, uh, when you have two wives, you have to really consciously, um, pay attention to a lot of dynamics uh, sorry you have to you have to be careful not to provoke things between the two women um which you can easily do if you're not conscious by making a comment maybe that supports one and leaves the other one feeling like oh am i not good enough to get that comment mm. too or in other words it takes a lot of awareness i always say to people because a lot of my students say oh, i'm going to do that too and i say look if you can't handle one, oh, I had one. Never... <laughs> throwing a second I don't know how you one, you can in, have two. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's it's a firewalk that you mm. may spend the rest of your life trying to get over. Well, marriage is difficult anyway. It is. Adding another person mm-hmm. to that is just make. I, I when people think it's like fun and games, I'm always like, uh, you know, it's difficult enough with two people. Yeah. You have a third person. It's got to be much more. It's just an yeah. adding another element. Well, one of the things I I did with Penny is is I said to Penny. Well, actually, when I told her this was my dream, when before we got committed to each other, engaged, she said to me, how many um, wives do you want? And at the time, I actually believed, I mean, I was, I don't know, how old was I? We've been together 20 years. I'm 55. I was 35. So <laughs> I have a comment for 35, but it's, let's just say it, at 35, you're kind of at a weird place because you actually have lived enough life to think you really know what's going on. But it's easy to delude yourself because in the next 20 years, you'll learn a lot more than you did in the first 35. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. You, as you grow, you can learn faster because oh, you yeah. know more. So knowledge compounds itself much quicker. So, you know, at 50, you can learn as much in a day as you did in a week at 35 as a metaphor, That's right? It. You know, because you've got a lot more sensors about you. You've mm-hmm. had more experiences so you can see more in the world unless you're just dumb and drugged out because mm-hmm. you're not participating. Anyhow, I forgot where I was going with that, but you know the the thing that I'm That's sharing OG is coach. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was you know if you were at peace with yourself and you said sometimes you feel sad. yeah. So so what it is that I was leading to there is that I'll find sometimes that one of the ladies might say something to me or ask me to do something, and I might have just come home from work. And I'm just tired of talking. I've talked all day. I deal with people's problems and people that come to me with challenges, right? Not simple ones. Otherwise, they wouldn't be paying me the money I charge. They come with midlife crisis, disease problems, athletes paying, you know, being paid $100,000 a game who are at risk of losing their job because they've had a back injury for, you know, two years and they're sitting on the bench and the team's pissed off. And, you know, so... I need to shut down when I come home. I don't necessarily want to talk very much. And um, Angie hasn't seen me all day. And and so Penny's been away from me too. So sometimes Penny needs to share things and Angie needs to share things. And I don't want to be talked to. I just want to be in a man cave somewhere. So I can find myself uh, 
getting sharp edged, you know. Um, Benny says I'm like a rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a sweet thing to say. Yeah. Well, that's that's the honesty that I love her for. That's great. You know, and I at the time when I do it, I feel like I feel sometimes frustrated because, like, don't they realize that I've been dealing with people's problems all day and I'm working my ass off to you know earn the money to allow us to live the way we live and have the money to support other people. In other words, I'm really committing myself and sometimes I just need a little time to myself. And it's easy to forget one's been holding on to a one-year-old, 14-month-old kid all day who's a tiger and the other one's been managing an entire institute that can have lots of things going on all over the world at the same time. And sometimes challenges, right? Business comes with challenges. So my point is, you ask me, am I happy? I'm happy. But there are times where I see the way I behave and... I'm very much aware that I still have a long way to go in my growth and development to take God from the noun to the verb. You know, talking about God as a noun is easy. People do it all the time. And they delude themselves to thinking just because they say fancy words about God and read cool books about God that they're spiritually evolved. But God's not real till God's a verb. So when I catch myself speaking in ways, acting in ways, or judging in ways that I know in the wisest part of myself don't reflect God, then I am aware that I'm, I still have a lot of growth in the spirit gym. You know, that's what I call spirit gym. Who gives a shit about how strong you are with barbells, dumbbells, and kettlebells if you're a wimp in the spirit gym? And unfortunately, a lot of the muscling up that goes on in the physical earth gym is to compensate for the hmm. pains and the fears and the judgments that are opportunities to grow in the spiritual gym. And if people would do more work in the spiritual gym, they would have a lot less need to armor themselves and they'd be much more capable of finding beauty in themselves that's beyond pecs, tits, asses, hmm. how big your dick is, how fast you can run, you know. And uh, our culture would, wouldn't spend so much money on plastic surgery and, and trying to create an illusion, you know, that and, – and, and God's into that too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that we, we all have a lot of room to grow there. And though I'm at peace with myself, I'm also conscious of that I could create a lot more peace in myself, but I'm going to have to practice every day. And I believe Spirit gave me two wives so that I have – and a new child so I have every reason to practice. Um, you know, you can only take with you what you die, what you become in life. You understand? Mm -hmm. you, you can't leave here Buddha unless you've become Buddha as a verb, right? So this is kind of like live training. In the afterlife, it's like simulator training. You can never recapitulate life in the afterlife because you're not in life. You're in the afterlife. It's like looking at a movie uh, the second time as opposed to being in it the first time. When you come into life, you're in the live field of action, and that's the only place you can make the decisions and relationships to truly grow and decide not to hit somebody back or not to give your finger to somebody or you know, not to – bite your wife's head off because she just wants to tell you about her day and you know whatever it might be 
So that's my way of saying, yeah, I am happy because I make an honest effort every day. And I even make an honest effort to be empathetic to myself and say, hey, you know what? There's a part of you that just wishes that they could feel what you feel. And if they could feel what you feel, they might understand you better. And then my soul says, but it's equally important to remember that if you could feel what they feel, you might realize that they're under a lot more stress than you are and need your help more than you need to be alone. And that's the journey right there. I got to I got to feel like you have to have another conviction with your business and your level of awareness and knowing the importance of staying grounded, staying connected, uh, always reflecting. And then we live in a world, though, that, uh, you know, and the, and the saying goes, you know, money, money makes the world turn. Mm-hmm. And these things uh, are how we make means and get by and have houses and feed ourselves and where it's evolving um, is getting more plugged in mm-hmm. and um, disconnected with yourself and yeah. more connected from a virtual stance to people and knowing that and knowing that's the direction. And then also being a guy who's trying to get this message to truly genuinely help a lot of people uh, that has to be, you got to struggle with that. You got yep. It's hard because, um, you know, there's so much knowledge now amongst big corporations on how the social brain works, the social mind. And, you know, just like your autonomic nervous system does a lot of thinking and processing below the level of your consciousness, the social mind or the culture does a huge amount of information processing below. But the people that make the laws, you know, the George Bushes of the world and the Donald Trumps of the world and the big lawyers of the world and, and the movers and shakers have the ability to um, program. I mean, 85 people in, own half the money in the world. So that, you know, that tells you there's 85 people that own half the wealth of the entire planet. So those people are very invested in keeping you on their agenda because that's just a printing press that they run. And this is, you know, everyone knows this that's looked into it. But the reality of it is, is that you have to compete. I mean, think Coca-Cola spends like $350 million a year to market sugar water, right? Well, if I had $350 million a year to market the Czech Institute, let me tell you, I could sell one shitload of courses (laughs) and people would be changing and it would be very, very threatening to these large corporations because I can show people very quickly that you can get off a lot of drugs by just simply drinking good water, eating real food, sleeping when you should be sleeping and getting enough movement to keep your animal body healthy. And that alone could collapse the medical system, right? But we forget that the medical system is one of the largest taxpayers there is, which means one of the biggest supporters of the defense industry and the drug industry and the, you know, all the industries. So there's a whole lot going on here that doesn't meet the eye. I mean, you, like I'm saying, if I could make everybody healthy, I'd also create a huge financial crisis and the whole country would start to collapse. <laughs> so, so I reached the point where I just said, I have to just trust great spirit and do what my heart tells me is loving authentic and honest and trust that you know it's like us coming together you guys found out about me through various contacts and i found about out about you from some of my students that really liked your stuff and it wasn't very long after someone paul you said really you really should 
do an interview with the Mind Pump guys, I think they would... Actually, it was Mike Salemi. Mm -hmm. Mike said, Paul, these guys would love what you do. I just know they would. You're going to have a good time if you meet these guys. And the next thing you know, here we are, right? And so you're sharing with your audience your stuff, and I'm sharing with my audience your stuff. So we're, we're, you know, reciprocating, you know? And that's, that's what love is. Love is that reciprocity. You know, I define love as the flow of energy and information through empathic and or compassionate connection to self or other. Mm. We're sharing energy and information and we're empathetic and compassionate for each other's mission and for each other's life experiences and challenges and that we're all here um, it surprises me together. You, it surprises me you don't have more relationships like that because you are such a compassionate person. Uh, for us, it wasn't a hard decision uh, at all, when we, especially after we met you. Well, I'll tell you so, what. I mean, so, uh, there's a lot of th- a lot of times you're saying things, and I'm trying to figure out what you're communicating and trying to get it. And to me, it sounds foreign, and I don't. I I'm deciding if I agree or not. Yeah. But but I also uh, I have a pretty good bullshit meter in the sense that. Uh, you're a very genuine person. Mm-hmm. So, and for me, uh, that's number one. If somebody's very genuine, uh, then I, I tend to like them, regardless if I agree or disagree. I've mm-hmm. had, we've had hosts, uh, excuse me, uh, guests on our show who are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of you who say very, very different things and who I may not agree with a lot, but mm-hmm. they're very genuine. And so mm-hmm. I respect what they say. And you're yeah. one of those people, mm-hmm. um, it, it, which, you know, is one of the reasons why you're one of our more polarizing guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, but lots of people really wanted to hear what you had to say. Lots of people really wanted to hear what you had to say about even basic things like fitness, which uh, you've been doing this for so long. You're so advanced in your in your quest for, for overall total wellness mm-hmm. that uh, you talk about a lot of the advanced things. But there's a lot of basic messages there, too, that I think a lot of people need to hear. For example, uh, let's talk about exercise for a second. I want to change gears for a second. Yeah. What is the biggest mistake you see the average person making with exercise? The biggest mistake has two sides like a coin. <laughs> of course it couldn't be a fucking one-minute answer. It's got, it's got, it let, me, let me break this down to the sun and the moon to you real quick. I'll give you, I'll give you the Zen of it. Ready? Are you ready? Let's, yeah. Okay. On the tail side of the coin, which is far the bigger in our culture, is not doing enough exercise. Mm-hmm. On the heads, is doing too much. Yeah. There's right, your answer. Right on point. Right? I like to live in the middle, and anyone that does usually feels greater, looks greater, and doesn't spend so much time going, the older I get, the faster I was. <laughs> now, how does somebody know if they're doing too much? Because their body doesn't recover. In other words, you go to your next scheduled workout, maybe you're doing pulling exercises every third day, and all of a sudden your warm-up weight feels so heavy, it's like you just walked out of the gym yesterday. So your body's saying, do not do this again. You are not recovered enough. And then you all of a sudden notice, geez, you know, I went out to a friend's house who's a vegan last night for dinner and I had nothing but salad. And you wake up in the morning and you feel a lot better than you felt in a long time. And the warm-up bar feels like it's made of feathers. And you go, whoa, what the hell's different, man? This isn't normal for me. And you say, shit, I haven't eaten meat now for two meals. I spend most of my fucking career trying to connect those dots for people. Uh, you know, That's a hard one to connect. So in high-tech terms, you've alkalinized yourself and you've given yourself the nutrition to shut down huge amounts of inflammation, which is anabolic, which means you sped your recovery up. And then you listen to some more like Paul Cech say, 
you should really take long, cold showers whenever you finish <laughs> training and before bed if you want to improve your sex drive and in the morning if you want to exercise your autonomic nervous system and your arteriovascular bed. Your arteriovascular bed's a living tree of arteries and veins that respond to temperature and we are in such temperature controlled rooms it's like there's a whole muscular tree as big as your whole body that no one exercises holy shit you just blew my mind yeah. that makes plenty of sense <laughs> you know what you know why you blew my mind because there's a lot of studies and science right now supporting uh, temperature contrast well it's yeah. the reason supporting. why you see uh, dr wim hof right now on the ex yeah. exploding yeah. everywhere that's the doctor Huh? I think he's just Wim Hof. No, yeah. I think he's Dr. Wim Hof. Is he? No, he's Wim Hof. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. He's just Wim Hof. He's still a, still a badass. Anyways. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Roger yeah, Patrick talks awesome. a lot about, uh, you know, going in, the, in heat and, you know, temperature contrast. Mm -hmm. And I've been experiencing it myself. And it makes perfect sense what you just said. Yeah. That it's something you just, you need to exercise like anything else. When the sympathetic system's on, it pushes blood to the surface of the body, to the muscles, you know. Five, six of the blood in your organs when you're working out real hard can come out into the body to fuel athletic activity. So your our arteries have to open up to surge all that blood up, oh, right? Oh, okay. But when you get cold, once your skin starts to go numb, those sympathetic vessels stop trying to send blood to the surface because it's called a hunter's reflex. Now they constrict and all the energy, all the blood turns around and goes back into you as a protective device. So if you just alternate from getting to where the water's as cold as you can get it and then let it go as you know like if i'm in toronto or or i'm up in in northern california like i just was the water's cold enough that after like three or four minutes of it say on your neck it'll make your skin go numb mm. or your whole like after i do heavy deadlifts i let it i try to get my whole back to go numb with the water so i want the coldest water i can get and then once it goes numb i just turn around and let it do the front of myself and then i turn around and i do that five six minutes and I learned to breathe and regulate my internal temperature by using my chi and just using turning my parasympathetic on by controlling the pace of the out-breath and breathing diaphragmatically. I do tai chi with little clothes on in cold mm. weather to train myself to warm myself up. So what happens is that water is now oscillating. And if you really want to take it a step further, you can do a minute of hot water which will surge all the blood to the surface and turn the sympathetic system on, which would be like sprinting for a minute. Then you do a minute or two of cold water and turn it back around, which would be like jumping in a pool of ice. It's funny because for hundreds of years, we've been doing hot and cold plunges, yeah. right? And like this, now is, this has been done in cultures for thousands of years. So this yeah. is part of religious ceremonies. And now science is starting to support it. How, let me ask you this, Paul. How long have you been doing that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> more Longer than 10 years? Probably 10 years. You 10 know. years. Um, <clears throat> I knew about it because I studied cryotherapy when I when I was in my studies. You know, I worked for for uh, four years in a physical therapy clinic, and I worked with a lot of elite athletes. And it was a large, the largest physical therapy clinic in San Diego, so with thirteen surgeons connected to us. So I studied a lot of you know rehab for post surgical stuff. So I studied a book by Knight on cryotherapy, and it goes through all the physiology and I studied Guyton's textbook of physiology, which shows you how the whole arteriovascular tree works. And I, I've done five complete cadaver dissections. And I've, so it was and, 10 years ago you were reading about cryotherapy? It, oh, longer than that. I was reading about cryotherapy probably in um, when I was trainer of the army boxing team in uh, 1983. So here's what trips me out. Right. It's just now surfacing <laughs> to... I'm telling you, this guy, I mean... We should just ask you what the next trend's going to be. That's what I was yeah. going to say, Paul. Yeah. And, and you you read so much. This like, is you, the next you, trend. You Oh. You guys. 
Yeah. That's cool. That's you heard I, it here. That's what I like to hear. Damn, I feel good about myself. <laughs> uh, you read so much. We paid you for you, that. You know a lot about so many different subjects on a broad spectrum. I mean, 10 minutes ago you were talking about, you know, consciousness and God and, you know, religion. And then now you're talking about cold and heat contrast and, you know, exercise. And we could talk about nutrition. We could talk about gut health. We could talk about movement. Mm -hmm. This was mostly self-taught. Yes, I left school in ninth grade. Um, mm. This this is this is blowing this is mind blowing to me because I feel pretty well versed when it comes to exercise um, and nutrition. Those are my areas of expertise, mainly exercise, especially exercise programming. And we've talked off air about these subjects. And I watched you. You did uh, you know a few hours ago. You did some video with Taylor, or even before that, where you were doing some exercises and demonstrating your technique with mm -hmm. the cables and. Mm -hmm. And I've trained hundreds of trainers. They've worked for me. Mm -hmm. And me and Adam were watching you with the way you were instructing. We're looking at each other. And I'm like, this guy's a, he's a brilliant trainer. Mm -hmm. he's, he's brilliant with the way he's delivering the message. He understands how to exercise the body. But you have no formal, I mean, you're, you have no, I guess, quote unquote, formal education. This is all self-taught. Yeah. Now, what I did is um, I sought out the best people at whatever it is that when I, so like, for example, when I wanted to learn about how to work with nu uh, nuclear uh, extrusions or disc bulges. Cause you just woke up one day and that sounded well, like a good you idea. Know, I, because I had so many. <laughs> I'm going in my head right now. How does I that just, work? I had so many people with these disc injuries coming to me all the time. Oh, okay. I needed to learn, you know, what can you do with someone like this? So you don't hurt them. So, what I would do is research, talk to the best doctors and therapists, say who, if you had to take a course from someone on how to centralize a herniated disc in the cervical or lumbar spine, whose courses would you take? And I'd get a consensus. And so it would always point into one or two people. Then mm. I'd go study with them. Mm. And, and I got to the point after many, many years, I averaged $36,000 a year on continuing education, just traveling all over the world, taking these courses. And sometimes I get special permission to get in because I wasn't a physical therapist or an osteopath. But usually when they find out who I'd worked for and who knew me, I, I would get in and I'd show them articles I'd written. And that was usually enough. They said, Oh, well, shit, we want to hear what you have to say. Um, but it got to the point where a lot of these people wanted to trade with me, like certain elite therapists and doctors said, well, I want to learn some of what you want to learn. So how about a day each? I'll mm. work. You answer my questions for a day. I'll answer yours for a day. That's cool. And so, but last time I checked, because I had to do this to get my California State Massage Therapy license, because I maintain an active massage license as part of my work. Um, we went through all my continuing education certificates, and I had uh, 5,000, I think, 5,005 classroom hours from my certificates, because it states, because they're mm -hmm. all for university credits and stuff. Mm -hmm. I had 5,005 classroom hours of certificates from the courses I've taken from experts all over the world, including an advanced training program in the Czech Republic in Prague with Vladimir Yonda and um, Carol Levitt, two of the greats of the musculoskeletal rehab world. So when you when looking at fitness kind of as a whole, or let's say exercise as a whole, uh, do you have favorites that you've learned from or the mo uh, where you saw the most growth in yourself spending time with? Like, do you have any that come to mind or is it just- I never really studied too many people in the exercise industry at all. I studied Eugene Sandow's books. Oh, yeah. Um, Classic strongman. Yeah. In I, fact, the Mr. Olympia you know, uh, trophy is Eugene Sandow. Yeah. I learned a lot about program design from Charles Polican. 
He was a good mm. buddy of mine for many years. Considered we, one of the more brilliant, one of the most brilliant. Yeah, we shared a lot of information. I was a consultant to him many times. I helped him get a job at the Chicago Bulls. I co-developed a uh, program with him, which is my my um, initial program design course. And uh, so I used a lot of his research to help him get more known in the United States because he was unknown really in the United States. I could have used lots of different people's research to make the same points, but to support awareness of him because he was my buddy. I quoted a lot of his research for him. Mm. Um, so I learned a fair bit from Charles, but I really didn't study with those types of people. I studied uh, medical exercise physiology from very, very advanced rehab experts like Bjorn Svensson and studied Ola Grimsby's work and, and people who were like very, very elite in European countries doing things that you know Americans are only recently learning about, like you know three... Uh, you know, thousand rep sets to regenerate tendons on the rotator cuff using micro fractions of the weight or unweighted exercise and various technologies. So I, I hmm. learned, in other words, I learned how to use exercise science and built my own system by doing all sorts of assessments and studying what was working and what wasn't working and doing, and I've invented calipers to make certain measurements that there was no measurements for in physical therapy or osteopathy. But I could see based on the mechanics of the body that these things needed to be monitored. Or you, for example, you've got to know what the head position is. Helping Knowing what the angle of the first rib is tells me a whole lot about what's going on in your scalings and in your posture and in your breathing mechanism. So there's many problems that will not respond surgically, even though they cut the scalings and they still have lots of problems because it's a deeper problem. That So I invented calibrated instruments so I could make postural measurements and I was one of the first people probably in the world to develop a very comprehensive orthopedic and neurological assessment and repeatedly do it so that I could see exactly to the degree what was happening to a person's body when I put them on specific exercises and could tell you right away within as little as a week when an exercise was actually making their structure worse, their lumbar curve too flat, their head too forward, their body too rigid, their coordination was getting worse, not better. I did biomotor assessments, so flexibility, agility, strength, coordination, speed, uh, power, balance. I mean, you know, a Czech level four practitioner is, knows how to do an assessment that takes four complete hours to do to gather the raw information. How are you doing a, a neurological assessment? What were you doing? Were you, were you using a tool or? Well, I was doing sensory testing with pinwheels and finger drag tests, testing for the autonomic function. You can test with skin drag to see if there's sweating, to see if the autonomic portion of the nerve is damaged. We do muscle testing for the motor function the nerves so we use health appraisal questionnaires awesome. to manage manage the you know the vagal systems so the internal systems um so i everything that an orthopedic surgeon would do or a neurosurgeon would do or a physical therapist would do i've incorporated all that into my program because i had to master all that because they sent me the toughest cases that they didn't know what to do with <laughs> i have a question for you paul uh, so most people the reality is most people are motivated uh towards fitness because of, uh, for cosmetic reasons, for aesthetic reasons, right? People yeah. go to the gym because they want to lose weight because they don't like the way they look or they want to look more attractive and, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what, beautiful. What, which is fine. What is, what does the, I, I would like to give you two scenarios. You've got two people who are both lean and muscular, mm-hmm. but one person's healthy and the other person isn't. Yeah. What's the, what do you see, fit, what can you tell physically between the two of them 
between the healthy and the unhealthy person. Because you can get lean and muscular yeah, oh, yeah. and be very unhealthy. I, 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 I'm the guy that coined the term fit sick people for what's going on in the world today. That's mm. 20 years ago. I was saying we've got a world full of fit sick people. And, and, you know, the Australians call it mirror muscle. They think they're fit if what they can see in the mirror looks good. Like a lot of guys only train the front of their body because they can't see the back of their body. So you see big chests, rock hard abs, um, and, you know, a torso that's suing its legs for lack of support, to quote <laughs> Charles Polican. Um, but the difference is, first of all, and this is where being be, being trained as a Czech professional is very important because there's a difference between just looking at someone and feeling someone. So let me ask you a question. When you get into an elevator with 10 people that you don't know, how is it you know the guy standing next to you is having a shitty day and the guy on the other side of you is having a good day? Right. How do you know that? Well, mm. look on their face, the way they carry themselves, their energy. Yeah, and you don't even have to see them. You can feel them, right? You can walk into a room where someone's just had a big fight and feel the, the tension. tension in it, right? So I look at people and see what, happens when i put my awareness or my attention on them does it energize me does it make me feel emotional does it make me feel afraid anxious nervous i allow their energy to take over my internal system so i can feel what it's like to be them and then i know exactly what's going on what do we feel like you guys oh god adam um, i want to know <laughs> i want to know fucker yeah, um, you feel what, sexy what do we feel like uh you each have uh, very unique tones um Adam, you're... Handsome, thank you. Well, that's a good one. You have to be handsome to be on the mind pump, too. That's right. Um, don't make them just I feel good. I didn't get good. that memo. Don't make there. them just feel good, Paul. Um, no, don't, don't butter them up don't like that. Don't do that, because he's, he's so honest. He's going to say some shit. Door, he's going to say some shit that hurts my feelings. I don't want to... <laughs> you, you, um, you're, oh, you're, no. you're like a, a youthful, vibrant, uh, young athlete like a Eugene Sandow when he was about 24 wow. wanting that. to conquer the world but you're also paradoxically at this point now where you realize that to become the man you really want to be is going to require a different kind of work Ooh. so I see you transitioning now from the young warrior to what I call the king or the queen where Ooh. you have to get really clear about where you're going to invest your energy moving forward because there's a part of you that says, we don't have a lot of time for experiments that don't work anymore because I'm not into not accomplishing my objectives. Tell me that doesn't sound like me right now, huh? Did you, did you, that did, a, that did you a, write that down for him to say? I didn't before. write that down, bro. That's, <laughs> he felt that That's shit. That's some weird shit. I'm yeah. leaving. Yeah. Sal, <laughs> oh, you're Sal, next. Sal, um, tell me that doesn't you're, hit, huh? You're, uh. you're, um, you know... The vision that comes to me is the tarot card, the judge. Um, your energy and the image that rises up in me is of a judge who sits on a bench and hears everything. And he's seen a lot of bullshit. So there's a part of him that's very skeptical. But there's another part of him that says... I've been surprised before. So before I actually drop the hammer, I'm going to hear the other half of this story. Mm-hmm. And I also Man, see he's you good at this. <laughs> I also see you having conversations with yourself while you're hearing someone like me talk and it's an inner dialogue that says, what would I do if I had two wives and how the hell would I handle that? What kind of trouble would I get myself in and you know so there's there's a lot of 
in other words, you spend a lot of time evaluating your own judgments of yourself I see going on. Uh, I see you really working at being honest with yourself and other people. Not that you weren't before, but I, the judge is – when a judge makes a decision, it can put you away, right? And no judge who's got any moral fabric wants to put someone away that didn't do the crime. So I see you as really an aspiring judge who sits in a position – to allow people to share whatever is on their mind about any topic, but also knows he has the responsibility of dropping the hammer when he hears bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! And, and there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that, right? Mm. Because uh, when you're going to drop the hammer, it's like there's always the fear, well, what if he is actually right and I'm wrong? Now I'm going to drop it on my own foot and it's going to hurt. Mm. Uh, what if... I hurt this person and they're just immature. So they're, they're really desperately trying to get someone to listen to them, even though they don't realize how silly they're sounding right now to someone who already knows better than that, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of responsibility. So it creates an inner wind. Um, It's like a cat. That's always constantly got to be aware when it's walking in another cat's territory. I see that for you, your next stage is um, really embracing that your intention is always to be fair and loving and letting the cat relax because the judge really has to do a lot of thinking. The next stage of the judge is to no longer think but ask something greater than itself what the truth really is because all the judgments that we can make with our ego or with our own mind are actually made of those paper boats we were talking about, Mm. right? So the things when you're saying that guy's full of shit, well, maybe you don't understand him because a lot of people say when Paul Cech says light comes out of food and light is an information source, say he's full of shit. But the next thing you know, two years later on the news, Fritz Albert Pop's research showed, (laughs) oh fuck, I've been telling everyone that guy was an asshole and he was an idiot for two years now and he was telling the truth, damn it. Right, so you you're you're at a point in your life, um, from my perspective as a shaman who reads energy like that, where uh, you're now uh, taking the 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 road less traveled, which is how do I bring my level of filtering bullshit and supportive growth of human beings to the level that that um, reflects my my actual intention and not maybe my fear of being wrong or my need to have it a certain way. And that's a quite a one. So the, the hashtag, the judge, yeah. that's <laughs> hashtag, the judge. Yeah. The, the, I like the that. Tip, the tip I have for you in that regard is, uh, don't rush. Uh, simple rule. Count to 10, hear your own judgment like you always do, but count to 10 and ask the deepest part of yourself is there something that I'm missing here that would change my opinion if I was to see it? And if the answer is yes, then smell out what it is. Dig deeper into that person. Why do you believe that you should eat that way? Why do you, what is your belief that will happen? What, is, what, what got you into all this nutrition stuff? Well, you might find that it was driven by tremendous fear because both of that person's parents died of cancer and they felt that if the parents would have just taken a natural health approach that the medical system wouldn't have killed them so now they're on a vendetta so maybe they're just a bit overzealous so my point is once you start going underneath it 
and seeing what is the belief behind the behavior, you often find that you can see more than a judgment on the evidence could make. Where now, before you were judging what they were saying, now you're realizing there's a person in there that's wounded and doing their best to share what they think is true, Mm. but you can see how their perspective got shaped. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. So that's where I see you're growing into taking the time, but the secret is is count to 10 and ask something deeper than your mind um, because there's a fast judge and a strong judge in you. And it got you here, which is why it's so important because it got you here. And then slowing that down just for those few extra seconds, which sounds easy, but wait till you see how quick those Bruce Lee reflexes are and you start watching them. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And Justin, um, um, we, yeah, we got a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have to to chew on this for a while we we might need to do another podcast for this one (laughs) no you know um i'm gonna share this openly and honestly because i know you guys are like brothers and this is it's important for me to be honest um justin you're an easier one for me to read because you actually carry a lot of the same pains that i carried hmm and I can feel them in you. Um, I would summarize you by saying your biggest challenge is you're not sure who you'll be if you let the love come out of you that sometimes you have to hold back for whatever reason it is, whether it be fear of not being understood or whether it be... uh, you know, needing to protect a wound inside of yourself from earlier times in your life. But, you know, Sal, when we were talking about how we started crying a lot when we're, when our kids were on the way, mm-hmm. that's, that's for a guy with your upbringing, your profile, and, and the things that you've done to make yourself feel safe as Justin, mm-hmm. when, when those tears start coming through you, the first thing that happens is you get thoughts like, fuck, if any of my friends saw me right now, they, they <laughs> think I was just out of it, man, like something's really wrong with me. It's quite a walk on the wild side to let the feminine energy flow through you. But, you know, you're not really whole as a man until you're willing to allow yourself to feel uh, the too, feminine I'm too energy. Manly? Is that what you're saying? Huh? I'm too manly. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> That's what I'm getting. No, you're not. You're not too manly. Yeah. At all. I, I think you're you're beautiful. I just think that, um, you're at a point now in your life where, as you see the bigger picture and feel the experience of what it really means to be alive, and little things like connecting to your food and paying close attention to how thin the thread is between life and death for us is. I mean, we we assume good water will always be around. We assume the air will always be breathable. We assume there will always be food at the supermarket. We assume that we're relatively safe if we go to a hospital. But we know at the same time people are destroyed every minute of every day by making that assumption, Mm -hmm. right? And I... I just think that your profile is one that you're at a point in your life right now where you're going to find that it's too hard of work to maintain the strength, the power, and the uh, 
protective mechanism that was once necessary because something inside you says it's working the wrong direction. But then you'll also find it's quite scary when a girl starts talking to you about how much she loves you and all of a sudden tears are coming to your eyes and you can't stop them anymore. And you're part of you is thinking, what's going to happen if she sees me crying? Or, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange feeling when that much love starts to come out of you and it can really challenge your conditioning. And uh, I remember my, both of my, my wives laughing their head off at me because some of the singers on The Voice could make me cry profusely. Like, I'm <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, when I hear Christina Aguilera sing and watch her dance, it is like seeing God embodied. I mean, this woman can sing and dance so good, it's almost non-human. That's my opinion of Christina Aguilera. And I cry a lot when I watch her because it's just like, I am seeing the, the potential of a woman to be beautiful, intelligent, artistic, capable, athletic, at such a high level of synthesis that it's so inspiring to know that there's even one human being that has accomplished that much perfection of self-expression that it breaks me open emotionally to know that millions of people are watching that same woman I'm watching right now and getting touched at the conscious or unconscious level. And so as we as guys start really experiencing the emotion inside of us that part of us used to hold back for fear of what people might think, especially other guys, we, we come to the realization one day, wow, I've been holding back all this stuff since I was a kid. All the times that I really wanted to cry because someone upset me or punched me in the face or whatever it was and I held it back to be a tough guy, you realize all that's still down in there and it's like a well of the stuff. And when it starts breaking up, to the surface and it comes with little things like a kid being born or uh you know someone writing you a letter saying how much your their your show touched their heart and then all of a sudden you feel it and you that every minute just like sal has to make judgments you gotta say do am i gonna let this stuff out (laughs) and i'm just saying when you relax into that i think oh it's almost like a a a beautiful flower is going to just feel the full force of the sun and parts of you are going to open and it's going to be so, you're going to feel so connected. It's going to almost be like you're living in another person's life. But at the same time, I think you'll look back and go, if I had done that sooner, I wouldn't have appreciated it as much as I do now. Mm -hmm. And now I can connect with how many men are really desperate on the inside for that moistening of the feminine energy but so afraid of what it means to even admit that hashtag the flower (laughs) (laughs) well i'll I'll tell you what uh that was nailed it yeah that was uh (laughs) ouch that was uh weird and i don't mean it in a negative sense i mean in a very eerie like you hit it right on uh, and we didn't talk. Yeah, they could. They could have told you. That. Yeah, that's very, very. Uh, and you're saying this is from your shaman training. Well, my shaman training is really my life training. Um, you know, when I joined the Native American Council, which requires you to go through a course of shamanism training, I spoke to the chief of the organization um, and said, "Look, you know, I know you have this course that I have to do to get these credits, but." would you be willing to look at what I've created through my Czech Institute? And I have a program called PPS Success Mastery, which is 12 lessons 
based on the area that after many, many years of coaching people, I found there's 12 common roadblocks to living your dream and being free as a human being. So I built a lesson for each of the common roadblocks. So that's my PPS Success Mastery Program. Mm. So I, I asked Cloud Piler if he would look at that and if he felt that I needed to do the training because I wasn't qualified to be a shaman through his organization without the training that I would do it. And so he got back to me and said, what you're teaching is way more comprehensive than what we require. There's no need for you to do it at all. In fact, we would like to talk to you about how to make your material accessible to our members. So he gave me a grandfather in. But my point is my shamanic training is really studying what a shaman is and studying great teachers like Arnold Mendel, who wrote the book The Shaman's Body and many other fantastic books and who's the developer of process psychology and was trained as a Jungian and is a genius, right? If you haven't studied any of Mendel's stuff, Arnold Mendel. Um, and people like Terence McKenna and Alex Gray and Ken Wilber and uh, Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung – and working with people who are just very, very sage-like with a lot of life experience and doctors and therapists that I've met over the years, I gained enough understanding of the subtle energy structures of reality and you know what the chakras stand for, what they mean, what is the emotional field, the astral field, what is the mental field, what is the causal field. <clears throat> What is the field of non-being or non-existence or what is Wu Chi versus Tai Chi? Um, you know, so when you understand that a shaman's function is to create harmony and a shaman's function is to deal with you on whatever level of reality you're having challenges, which could be the mental level, the emotional level, it could be in past life situations. Some of these things are too technical to really explain in this mm -hmm. kind of situation, so I have to kind of breeze over it, but... Um, that's what a shaman really is. And there's as many different kinds of shaman as there are different kinds of exercise coaches or dance teachers, right? So shaman is kind of just like a gross term, like training. Now, do, do shaman fall? Because, you know, there's obviously lots, there's lots of shaman, just like there's lots of trainers. Yeah. Do you have shaman that fall in that same trap of putting on a Band-Aid, you know, helping someone, they leave, come back, I help them again, and they leave and come yes. back? Rather than, okay. They do. Uh I've worked with many people that have gone to shaman and people like John of God in Brazil. And actually, a number of my advanced students have gone off and done comprehensive shamanic training programs. Um, and one of the guys that just took a course from me in England maybe a year ago when I released my Czech Four Quadrant Mastery Coaching Mastery Program uh, is in an advanced training program in the jungle. And he had been on his first round of training for four months. And I explained in class, as a shaman, the reason I teach the kinds of – or practice the things I'm teaching here is because if people don't look at the beliefs behind the behaviors, they will keep repeating the same belief over and over again and therefore the same behavior no matter whether they go to a shaman and get their pain taken away with feathers, drums, crystals, or psychedelics, right? It doesn't matter what happens. If you keep – Lifting wrong, you're going to keep hurting your back as a metaphor. Mm -hmm. And all the aspirin and all the magic in the world will only take that pain away for a few hours. Mm -hmm. So um, there is the same problems in shamanism because most shamans don't have adequate training or knowledge of the human soul, the human life cycle, the human life experience, and the depth of things involved, such as diet and movement, right? 
they might know a lot about the different worlds or have a very complex model of mythology or theology that they can work with or teach you how to dance or chant or sing. But if they don't know how to teach you how to eat or how to move your body correctly or how to set goals effectively, dot, 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 then, you know, it's kind of like every philosophy. My philosophy is that you can't go any lower in a living philosophy than being aware of what makes you happy, what you're willing to do to create happiness for yourself. You have to be paying attention to what you put into your body because you literally are what you eat. You have to be aware of how you're using your body with movement to keep it nourished and fit enough and healthy enough to do what it is that you call your dream. And you have to be conscious of what rest really is and how to use rest effectively, or you can have all those things right. But if you don't know how to, re how to rest properly, you'll burn yourself right out. You'll be a happy, fit, sick, tired person, mm. and you'll have to learn to slow down. So my point is you cannot take a living philosophy below rest, Dr. Quiet, movement, awareness, Dr. Movement, happiness, what is it that I'm doing all this for? What is it that feels satiating to me? What gives me a sense of willingness to participate fully in life? And then Dr. Diet, how am I feeling the adventure and nourishing it? If you have a philosophy that misses any one of those, you now have a wheel that will not roll. Take a four-spoke wheel, knock one spoke out, and it goes flat. It can't roll. And so once you get down to the the, the, the number four, which is the number of wholeness numerologically, if you go deeper than that, you end up with problems in living biological systems. Excellent. Uh, what, is there one thing you could leave uh, our listeners with, one piece of advice uh, that you could leave them with that they could take and, and start applying? Yes, I'll quote Thich Nhat Hanh, a flower is made of non-flower elements. When you're looking at a flower, there's nothing that you're looking at that was made by a flower. It is all earth, water, sunlight, and air and space that make a flower a flower. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. Well, a human being is made of non-human elements. So we must remember that what we really are is much grander than what we think we are because just like it takes a whole universe to make a flower, it takes a whole universe to make Sal, Adam, Justin, Dave, Paul, and every one of us. And if we realize that we're part of something so much bigger than we can conceive of and that that is guiding us to being the fullest that we can be, then we will have the joy of opening like the flower has the joy of opening and the flower doesn't think about it. It just follows the sun. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> boom. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Mic drop right yes. there. Just, Mic drop. Just like I expected, one, uh, again, uh, one of our more interesting um, and uh, just exciting, I guess, uh, interviews. Thank we you. Just truly we just love to hear you talk. We, truly appreciate yeah. it. Having Look you forward here. to more. There's my pleasure. No yeah. doubt in our mind that we'll be uh, doing this a lot, Paul. You've been on a lot of shows, right? You've been interviewed a lot. Oh, man, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Who's, times, who's your favorite? You guys are right up yeah. there. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, no, you guys are alive. You know, you guys are uh, you guys are so full of life and so full of love, too. You know, I feel like I can have the joy of breathing and being myself with you guys. And I want to thank you because it's hard for a guy like me to find a place where he can do that without having to look at a lot of people squirming and cringing and getting pissed off and getting stiff in the jaw and walking out of my lectures or walking out of my classes or 
whatever. So to be able to sit naked with you guys and enjoy it makes me feel like I'm at home and like I'm at heaven. And for you guys to be able to do that at your age is pretty evolved. You guys are really pushing the envelope here. Excellent. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome compliment, man. Uh, check it out. Mindpumpmedia.com. 30 Days of Coaching is still available for free. You can also find us on Instagram at mindpumpmedia. You can find my personal page at Mind Pump Sal, Adam at Mind Pump Adam, and Justin at Mind Pump Justin. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.